Just a pastoral moment or moments before we open the word. Well, I just want to say what a great joy to see our members receiving, welcoming, befriending new attenders into our body. Just so thankful for that. I noticed that today, even walking through the fellowship hall before our ladies study and seeing new faces and then during lunch today. And I, was, I want to commend, um, I want to commend our body and say, well done. Uh, keep pressing on. And actually with respect to that, uh, you might notice in the bulletin that Brett and Sandra Braidman moved here from Sacramento, have applied for church membership. Would you guys just go like this real quick back here? Yeah, there you go. That's Brett and Sandra. Welcome to the Upstate and the Grace Baptist Church. Yeah. And as we pray before we open the word, I want to give thanks. The Lord has helped Pam DePrima, who I think it was a week ago last night, uh, late last night, had, you would say, emergency abdominal surgery. And talking to Ellie beforehand, she's doing remarkably well, and we thank God for that. And so... Uh, Pam, if you're watching, we thank God for this news you're doing well. And that makes us think of Ravonda Schwinn. Ravonda, as Pastor Jamie mentioned this morning, is down in, uh, in Charleston and I think has surgery planned sometime, if not this week, Tuesday. Okay, Tuesday the night. And so on that day, we want to remember Ravonda as she is dealing with um, duodenal cancer, but also on that day, Ken Woodington has heart surgery. We want to remember Ken, brother, praying for you on August, this Tuesday the 9th, for you and Ravonda as well. So with that, some of you might have noticed I've got this orange little bracelet. It says, um, the name of it, it mentions 1 Corinthians 12, 26, is Operation Orange Ribbon. And no, it's not a declaration of my loyalty to Clemson, but it's a reference to 1 Corinthians 12, 26, where when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. Let's express that now in the way we pray. Father, we thank you that even as we saw in our men's study this morning, we have every encouragement to pray. And so now we come and we talk to you as our Father. And we thank you so much for the access that we have through the Son and the help that we have by your Spirit to pray. And we thank you for your grace that you've shown towards Pam. We bless you, Lord, for your mercy to her. And giving her a good result from the surgery, we pray for her continued recovery. We thank you as well for how you've helped Brittany O.A. and pray that she would continue to do well in response to her knee replacement. And Lord, for Ken, our brother Ken and our sister Ravonda on this coming Tuesday, we pray for good results. And we pray that you might keep their hearts uh, from quaking with fear and that they would be reminded that if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without your notice so you may be entirely trusted we pray that you would help uh, them do that and we, we ask that you'd guide the surgeon's hands for both of them 
Father, in the spirit of Philippians 1, 3, we thank you for our brother Jamie and his life at 63 years today. Thank you for the faith in Christ and the love for your people he's demonstrated to us. And so we remember him with thanksgiving and with joy today. Thank you for the kindness of giving uh, us an under-shepherd like him who has fed your people with knowledge and understanding and cared for your sheep. Now as we open your word, we pray for your grace. Help us receive it with humility, with the very spirit of disciples who long to learn and be more like you. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Again, as we did last Sunday morning, this is on page 61 in the pew, in your pew Bible, if you've got that. So I'd like to read the first 11 verses, which include the first table of the law. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's the prologue to the ten words or the ten commandments. Now here they are. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You know what this is like, and I believe each of you will identify with my opening illustration. You receive the same kindness over and over again. Sometimes you're immune to it. I've noticed today you can open the door for 10 people, and if you open a door for 10 people, two or three may walk right by you without looking you in the eye or expressing gratitude. It's as though they're inoculated against it. You endure the summer heat over and over again, and some of you who work outside, you understand there's a sense of which you, you may never get used to it, but you finally get used to it, and you just recognize it's brutal. June, July, and August. And you get used to sweating and drinking water like a fish so that you're not dehydrated. 
And the same may be said of traffic. You just get used to it. Or poor customer service. Or maybe even excellent customer service. Like Chick-fil-A is noted for. And so you become used to it. Maybe you read of death and difficult news. You can look and you open, you look at news, local news, and you see death. You see traffic accidents that result in death. You see people being arrested. You see it all there in print, but you become numb to it. And there's a little bit like, not my problem. And it can all seem to lose meaning or significance by virtue of its constancy. It's everywhere and it's all the time. You might know that the word El, the Hebrew word for God, occurs, I believe, some 2,700 times in the Old Testament. It would be understandable that you see it, God repeated time and time again, and you become so used to it that you don't notice it. You don't listen so attentively. And we may apply this to God in his name, the way we respond to kindness, summer heat, traffic that's just so aggravating, poor customer service, all these things, news of death, difficult news. And we can apply this, and I'd like us to apply this tonight to God in his name, to help us think about it. To God in his names as we find them through the pages of Scripture. We sometimes use God's name meaninglessly. We use it in vain. Or we sometimes hear, we listen to his name inattentively. And I think we could confess tonight that if we'd look long enough and closely enough, and we're honest enough, in the mirror of God's word, we could say that we misuse, we take God's name in vain. And it brings us to our big idea, and here it is. Because the word and works of God are so great, there is nothing so glorious to protect like the name and like the names of God. And you might ask, and it's understandable, maybe the way you'd ask, how would a lion need protecting on the savanna of Africa? And you might ask, naturally, what about God needs protecting? And I'm using, in a sense, in italics. What role, you could ask, could we play in God's protection. And by protecting here, with respect to this third commandment, I mean the preserving of the glory and the integrity of God's great name. You might know, I think it's the first verse in Proverbs 22 that says, a great name is to be desired more than great riches. And God's name is to be respected and to be revered. No, by way of a very quick review, I want us to think here about the moral law summed up in these two great commandments. The first we find in the Shema of Israel in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. And here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your might. And then the second is like, and it's found in Leviticus, the very end of chapter 19 and verse 18, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the Lord says, after that, I, 
and the Lord. And so taken together, Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, these are bookended by God's declaration of his name. The, two, the moral law summarized in these two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your might, or with all your heart and soul and with all your might. That's bookended, it's the prologue to that. In Deuteronomy 6 is, Hear, O Israel, I the Lord, or the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then there's that first and great commandment. The second, there in Leviticus 19, 18, when he says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself, then God says, he punctuates this with, I am the Lord. And I think it's helpful here as we think of law in an age that's much, much, where we're, we're much more easily, if you will, attracted and magnetically moving towards grace to remember the words of the Puritan who said this. He said that love is law, law is love's eyes. Law is love's eyes and without it, Love is blind, but love is law's heart, and without it, law is dead. And so as we think of the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, I want us to reflect on these two emphases from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, in both Exodus 20, and then where Moses repeats these some 40 years later in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And two particular emphases are found in the content of the words written on these two stone tablets. First spoken by the Lord our God, or if you want to speak in reference to Israel, the Lord their God at Mount Sinai, and then inscribed by God's very finger on those two tablets. The first tablet contains the first four commandments and describes the pattern of our relationship with God. We say it is vertical in orientation. The second tablet contains the next six commandments and describes the pattern of our relationship with our neighbor. You might say it is horizontal in orientation. I think pattern as a word is a little tepid. It's a little weak, okay? Just a little bit here. Is the idea is the obedience that God requires. Parents, you don't say to your children uh, when their room is a wreck and you say, I'd like to give you a pattern for the new look on your room. As a matter of obedience, you say to them, clean up your room, right? At least I ought to be able to open the door, all right, and not be overwhelmed by too much when I look in it, when we look in it. And so the idea of pattern is too weak. The idea here is the obedience that God requires, the life and the conduct of those in the covenant community, those who possess all the blessings of the covenant. The reality is that the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, and then the final five, the book of Ephesians, Paul's first three chapters, the final three, 
reflect this pattern of this is what God has done for us, the indicative in Christ Jesus. This is God saying to Israel, gather there at Sinai, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, because I'm bringing you into newfound freedom to Canaan eventually, which I've promised to you. And so God says, I've redeemed you, and now this is what life as a redeemed community looks like. And in our context, that means every follower, every disciple who pledges allegiance to King Jesus. Alec, I think it's Matier, it's M-O-T-Y-E-R. Let's just say it French-wise, Matier. He says that covenant sacrifice always precedes covenant law, all right? Covenant sacrifice always precedes covenant law. You see this in Genesis 15 before Genesis 17. You see this in Exodus When you look at Exodus 12 and the Passover and then Exodus 20 and the giving of the law. So now we, and this includes you, if you're in Christ, we have received salvation through Christ Jesus. Now walk in obedience and newness of life in Christ through the light of his word, through the renewing and sanctifying influence of his spirit through the gift and exercise of faith, and through the everyday, every week, one anothering that is intended as commonplace in the body of Christ. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism, I want to tell you, you can find it in the Trinity hymnal in the pew in front, or in in the chair in front of you. 40, over 40 of the questions in the Westminster Shorter Catechism provide us an exposition of the moral law and what each of the Ten Commandments forbid and what they require. And one of the goals of our studies, we go through this portion of Scripture, is to understand the purpose and content of God's law. Now, just to be clear, our focus is the moral law as summarized in those two great commandments which Jesus interacted with that lawyer in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, quoting from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. But it's the moral laws distinct from the civil or ceremonial law. We'll eventually get to those in the rest of the first five books of the Bible. But last Lord's Day morning, we identified three purposes of the law. Number one, to reveal God's character and attributes to us. Number two, to teach us the obedience or conduct that God requires of us. And then thirdly, or three, to expose us as lawbreakers and therefore reveal our need and squeeze us to help you and I feel the pressure, the need for the one who perfectly kept all the requirements of the law, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And Paul says it this way in Galatians 3.23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. It was our schoolmaster. It was our tutor 
until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And I add in parentheses, not by works of the law. And so we come tonight to the third commandment. And I want to give you a simple outline, five points, five points. Number one, the third commandment is founded on the glorious integrity of God's name. It's founded on the glorious integrity of God's name. Number two, it's explicitly a prohibition. Now, kids, I want to ask, what is a prohibition? It's when mom and dad say, you shall what? Not. That little word, not, not K-N-O-T, but not N-O-T is important. You shall not. That's a prohibition. And so the third commandment is explicitly a prohibition and implicitly a requirement to use well and not misuse God's glorious and wonderful name. And when we say name, you might add names. And then third, it's larger than the taking of his name in vain. The taking of his name in vain. Fourth is that the third commandment is applicable to six things. You want to think of it this way. God's names, God's titles, God's attributes, all right? God's attributes, God's ordinances, God's word, and God's work or works. God's names, God's titles, God's attributes, God's ordinances, his works, his word and his works. And then the last point for exposition tonight that I want us to see from the text is that the third commandment is given surety, another, just a $10 word for assurance. It's given assurance of its significance, this prohibition to not misuse God's name by the clear threat in the second half of the commandment. We talk about God does not play. He's formidable. Don't think of him as your peer. Kids, God is not your peer, the one who made heaven and earth. And so this commandment is made significant by the clear threat in the second half of the commandment, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And kids, I want to apply this just for a moment. When mom and dad say, if you do this again, I'm going to give you a spanking, or this is going to result in this lost privilege, they're not playing. They mean it. God means every word of the third commandment. So now, let's go through these one by one as we consider Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7, the third commandment. I want you to notice as you look at this, because you want to see, you want to see this word contextually as thinking of two tablets on one joined with the first, second, and fourth commandments, dealing with our duty, the obedience that God requires to him. 
And I think it's helpful to think of the way, the three ways the church serves God. We serve him directly in worship. And not our own self-designed way of worship, but a worship that's regulated by his very words. All right? It's not user-defined like a password that you do, like eight characters, you know, that, that, and you test that password. No, our worship's regulated by God's word, and that's these first four commandments. So first, we worship God directly in worship. Secondly, we serve one another in nurture. We live out all those one another's that are expressed in the New Testament. And I would add that in that great commission at the end of Matthew's gospel, the end of Matthew 28, we have a prescription for how we serve the world in mission, that we go to all the nations and we make disciples. We baptize them in the one name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and then we teach them everything that the Lord Jesus has taught us. So first, this third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, is founded on the glorious integrity of God's name. An important principle here is that a name carries both identity and authority. A name carries identity and authority. That's why don't name your boy Bozo, all right? Far better, Boaz, right? You get the difference? Not Bozo, but Boaz. Just one missed letter on a birth certificate and you've really messed up. Names carry both identity and authority. And the act of naming is an authoritative function. So That's why Adam gave names to all the animals. God endowed him and placed him there as God's vice regent. And in the very naming of the animals, and even Adam's response to Eve as he wakes up from sleep, is the expression of an authoritative function. And so when God gives himself a name or a title, he's both revealing himself to us, And he's authoritatively giving us the names by which we may call and worship him. And you'll see tonight at the end of this sermon, at the end in our benediction, that I'm going to use the benediction from the book of Hebrews that has four specific names or titles of God in it, in two verses, all right? It's no accident that in the prologue to the Ten Commandments, God uses this title, the Lord your God, as the prologue. And then it's no accident that God uses precisely the same title in the third commandment. Think about this. This doesn't simply say, you shall not take a name of God in vain. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? So don't miss that point as we think about the very first point, and that is, right, that the third commandment is founded on this glorious integrity of God's name. That's why we speak of protecting his glorious name. 
Secondly, I want us to see that the third commandment is explicitly a prohibition. It's telling us something that we are not to do. But it's implicitly a requirement to do something in a positive way. To use, to, 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 not, to, to not misuse God's glorious and wonderful name. And you see, the explicit prohibition is right there in the first half of the verse. Very simple. You shall not take, or misuse is another word for take, the name of the Lord your God in vain. And I thought how wonderful this morning, I don't know if any of you noticed this, in the Song of the Lamb in Revelation 15, it asks, who will not fear, O Lord, Revelation 15, 4, and glorify your name? Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? It is God's name in its integrity and glory that is worthy of worship. And that explicit prohibition is very clear. We're not to use God's name profanely, falsely, carelessly, or mindlessly. Some of you might notice, and we'll come to this in coming months, that there is a commandment that says, a provision that says, that you shall not swear by the name of the Lord your God falsely. And you might wonder how to reconcile that with Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount about not swearing, about simply letting your what? Yes be yes and your no be no. The idea of just being careful with your promises. And I think the point is here is that we are not to do it falsely. If I, if I say by God's grace, by God's grace and with God's help, I'm gonna, I'll email you tomorrow with this plan, A, B, or C. We do that with the intention of doing it in truth. And I think this will help you as you consider these first three commandments. If you might remember that the first commandment in chapter 20 here, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me, speaks of the indivisibility of God. And that is that God is the one true God, and God is truly one. But secondly, as we saw last Sunday morning, we saw the invisibility of God, and that God is a spirit, as he, Jesus said to the woman at the well, and said, those then who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's not to be represented so that we're bowing down to replicas or things made with our hands. We're not to make, if you'll remember, we're not to make, we're not to serve, and we're not to worship anything that's a replica of things in the heavens above and the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. And in other passages, we saw that extended even uh, to male and female human beings, right? So we think about that, and then now we come to the integrity of God in this commandment. The indivisibility of God, the first commandment, the, invisibility, the invisibility of God in the second, and then the integrity of God's name in the third. Now, so we're not to use God's name profanely. By the way, kids... 
any of this OMG, just chuck it. Just start over. Be done with that, all right? Don't do that. And you say, well, I didn't mean anything by it. Well, that's just the point of taking it in vain. To do something in vain is to do it mindlessly in an unthinking way. We're not to use his name profanely, falsely, carelessly, or mindlessly. And it's not legalistic obedience. This is gospel obedience once we grasp the greatness of God in the gospel and in all his works and ways as he is revealed in the Bible. We may do this with people. We may do this with God. Some of you know this week, I was running on the treadmill at the Y, and I, I list, finally finished What is the Gospel by R.C. Sproul from six years ago, a couple years before he died. And I'm listening to Dr. Sproul answer this, and he's using Romans 1, and I'm realizing that there are no more sermons by Dr. Sproul because he went home to be with the Lord three or four years ago, even though Ligonier continues to the ministry that he founded. And I'm thinking, like, what a good name. Not perfect, but what a good name. I can remember him with gratitude for his influence on the church. We may do this then with God. Again, this is not legalistic obedience, but it's gospel obedience. It's not to say that there's no precision. We need that. We need tracks. Guys, no tracks, no train. No interstate, no interstate travel. Let me illustrate this for you. I like to grind my own coffee, but I have a really bad habit. Sometimes I'm grinding my own coffee, and I'm doing this, put it in there, grind it, dump it out, do that over and over. And then I might be talking to Cheryl or someone else in our kitchen, and I've had this bad habit of I'm grinding it, and in the middle of it grinding, I pull that lid off, and then the beans go everywhere, okay? I'm glad that there's a precise, defined volume for my coffee beans. And God has said, because of the integrity, the glory, and the beauty of my name, use it well. Not profanely, not carelessly, not mindlessly. But I also want us to see that it's larger than the taking of his name in vain. This extends to not only taking or using his name in vain by speech, a.k.a. O-M-G, that is without meaning or meaninglessly, but also hearing his name in vain by listening to his name and his word inattentively. And let me suggest that the mindless, thoughtless, inattentive attending of his word is implicitly a breaking of this commandment. And I want to appeal to you that if you're, during the preaching of the word here, if you are on your phone, I'd like to discourage you from that. Not in a legalistic way, but a sense of if the word of God is being opened and the gospel is being proclaimed and the sounds of God's glorious names are here, Focus. And what I'm implying is that without saying a word, we may break this commandment by our inattentive, mindless, thoughtless attending of his word. And I want to illustrate this. 
has, it's the idea of introductions. I think this will help illustrate this point. Have you had the experience, which is common with me, and I, I keep working on this, if someone introduces themselves to you, and in that moment you are completely neglectful of listening to, learning, writing down, using it repetitively for a moment or two, and you walk away and you say, I can't remember their name. Has anyone had that experience? All right. You, and actually, you've gone up and you know this is a moment of introduction, and that includes the exchange of names. But by your inattention, the one thing that's the takeaway, the prized possession of introductions, is names. And you fail to avail yourself of that, all right? And then in that moment, you have listened. You have executed an introduction in vain. In vain. And if I've done that with you, I ask you to forgive me. I'm trying hard. I'm trying hard. I have a habit every Sunday morning of immediately writing on the front page of the bulletin the names of every visitor I've met. But sometimes I've forgotten them by the time I met the person I sat there. But I keep working at it. And so the third commandment, we might say then, is larger simply than the taking of his name in vain. You may take God's name in vain without even opening your mouth. But fourthly, it's applicable to God's names his titles, his attributes, his ordinances, his works, and his words. I want to illustrate this simply. The personal covenant name of God is Yahweh, or Lord, in all capital letters. That is a name, albeit a hugely important one for God, especially in the book of Exodus. And then from this morning, after name, we saw a title for the Son of God as the Lamb in Revelation 15. From last week, we saw that God is a jealous God, so that a holy jealousy is one of God's attributes. And then from a New Covenant era perspective, we have two ordinances in the gospel, baptism and communion, or the Lord's Supper. And then right here in Exodus 20, we have the divinely inspired record and preserving of God's words by the hand of Moses, the ten words to his people at Mount Sinai. And then finally, in Genesis 1 and 2, we have a most significant narrative of the all-important work of God in creation. And thus you understand question 54 in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Here it is. What is required in the third commandment? The third, requ- the third commandment, requires the reverent use of God's names, names, titles, attributes, ordinances, word, and works. Well, finally, as we think about the third commandment, the third commandment is given surety. It's given assurance of its significance by the clear threat in the second half of the commandment. God says, for the Lord... Speaking of himself, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What is question 56 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism ask? It asks this, 
What is the reason annexed to the third commandment? The idea of annexing something is add, adding to it, to the side of it, like the annex of a building. Here's the answer. The reason annexed to the third commandment is that however the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men, yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. The third commandment, brothers and sisters, the third commandment. I want you to think, if you will, just for a moment about our five points tonight. It's founded on the glorious integrity of his name. It's explicitly a prohibition, something we're not to do, but it has a positive side, a requirement to use God's name well, to not misuse his glorious and wonderful name, to protect it in all its glory. Thirdly, we see it's larger than the taking of his name in vain. The implication or the application is this speaks of how we're to listen as we hear God's word read, as we hear it preached. And I would say, I want to encourage you, when, when Rich works hard to select songs that work with what we're hearing from the word each week, join in. Obey the very word to be singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I know sometimes you're burdened, you're convicted, or you think, I don't know this song. But I want to encourage you, always move to being a participating singer in the worship of God. Kids, I want to tell you a great joy for, for us as we're up front in the morning. It's like a, a slice of heaven, a taste, a foretaste of heaven to hear the voices, not only of the adults, but especially the children as we sing God's praises each week. And finally, we see that this is applicable to six categories. God's names, his titles, his attributes, his ordinances, his word, and his works. And then finally, this commandment. We see its significance by the threat that's given in the second half of the commandment that God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Maybe some of you were like me. When I was a boy, I learned to say words I should not say. I was tempted to use foul words. Words that bring great shame, really, and just amazement that I was so crass, so thoughtless as a boy and youth. And even, even to the present day, I have to fight. When I wake up, if I experience anger, that's tempting to say things I should not do. But I want to give you a word of grace. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greeter, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But, a lot of theology in the word B-U-T. But, but, but you were washed. 
but you are sanctified. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Have you broken this word? He was broken for you. And so he says, come. Come to the fountain for cleansing and forgiveness. Brother Jamie, will you come up?